Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is December 11th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan, flying solo today. Lewis is away. Um, as he had mentioned last week, they're off on a family vacation. So we, uh, we're stuck with just me today. And, well, I'm not completely alone. This is the greatest thing about uh, doing our show from home is I currently have a Siamese cat sitting on my lap who has decided that now is the moment that he needs some attention because, of course, I'm paying attention to you. And I'm not sure how many of you have a cat like this at home. He decided that, yep, he wants attention right now, but only for a very fixed amount of time. And then when he is done, then he'll just bite me. And he won't really give me any warning when he's going to bite. He will just continue to roll around and look for attention until that moment that he has decided, okay, now it's enough. Now I am going to bite you. And I never know when that's going to come. But luckily, once he chooses to bite and walk away, there is a couple other cats who are laying here taking advantage of my body heat. Anyway, so uh, personal privilege aside, thank you for that. On the show today, pushback on Bill C-21, another made update, the largest spending scandal in Canadian history, and more. Okay, we're actually going to start off with the and more section of the show because there's a few smaller items I'd like to take care of, kind of on a, almost on a housekeeping basis, really. So we're going to start off talking about the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Yes, you've heard us talk about that a lot, and it's well worth talking about. Now, Danielle Smith, uh, we talked about this last week. She had suggested that cabinet will no longer have the the power that well to effectively bypass the legislature and rewrite laws but and I'm, and I'm all for that i mean i'm all for you know democracy and provincial rights but uh a friend of mine had posted on his facebook a very interesting take on the sovereignty act and i just wanted to read that for you because i thought that actually really nails it so I'm just going to read his Facebook post verbatim. And he had said, do you know what really has all these loonies on the left convulsing in rage? It is the truly in-your-face manner with which the Sovereignty Act respects individual rights. Seriously, what other law passed in the last generation has contained clauses explicitly forbidding the government from using it to order private citizens or other private entities to do anything? Certainly not the Emergencies Act or the Public Health Act. I thought, yeah, mic drop moment, man. Boom. That was uh, very, very well said and uh, definitely appreciate his, his thoughts on that. And really, I think that's one of the issues. That's one of the things that the reason why the, the Ottawa media hates this Sovereignty Act so much, and Lewis and I had discussed this, is because Danielle Smith is right over the target. She actually... <laughs> Of all the, the funny things, she seems to have got her finger on the pulse of what many average Albertans and what many average Canadians think. 
and that is that hey we the people have some rights too so i think that's fantastic and another th update on that is uh that lewis and i had, had talked about because rachel notley the ndp leader in alberta and leader of the official opposition had said hinted that she wanted her buddy justin trudeau to perhaps disallow this, this Alberta Sovereignty Act before it even got off the ground. Well, that's off the table. Dominic LeBlanc, the Intergovernmental Affairs Minister, has already said that, nope, they're not going to challenge the Alberta Sovereignty Act. And even Justin Trudeau himself said that, um, uh, um, uh, uh, uh. And once he got through all that, he did say that they were going to wait and see. And that was effectively it. So I think what'll end up happening is if the federal government does decide they don't like anything about the Alberta Sovereignty Act, well, they're going to wait until Danielle Smith actually invokes it and then probably just take her to court, which is exactly what she wants. And she has actually said as much. She has said we should not have to take the federal government to court every time we want to develop our own resources, for example, or chart our own path, for example. And he said, instead of us always taking the federal government to court and having to delay two and three years, let them take us to court and we will carry on doing what we do until you know, the court decision comes down. So there they are playing right into her hands. And whether unwittingly or not, I mean, this government in Ottawa is so bloody incompetent that it's probably a good time for Danielle Smith to take advantage of, of the times that we are in. And she is, she's just decided that, yep, we're going full steam ahead with this. So fantastic. Nice to know that uh, Danielle Smith is going to go, I won't say unopposed, but at least that the Alberta Sovereignty Act is now, is now there. And I guess until the Alberta provincial election in May, she's, uh, she'd managed to pass her signature piece of legislation. And it did pass in the House, by the way. So it was a late night sitting, but it did make it through the legislature. So congratulations. Onward and upward. So she had a bit of support from the Bloc Québécois, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise. And the, the leftist media in Ottawa had a good chuckle with that. Well, of course the, the Bloc would support her because it's, it's an autonomy provision. Like, yeah, yeah. And, um, but the Bloc Québécois did say that, yep, he certainly did support, uh, you know, Alberta pushing for more sovereignty. Let's go down to the provincial level of politics in Quebec. The, the CAC government under Francois Legault has decided that we're going to rewrite the constitution yet again and put in one more provision for Quebec. Now, remember when they did this over... Bill 96 to make certain that the French language was the official language of Quebec. And Justin Trudeau said, okay, yep, go ahead, rewrite the constitution when it comes to matters that are pertaining specifically to your own jurisdiction. And all the parties in the House of Commons, all the parties in the House of Commons, including the Conservatives, all agreed. Yes. Oh, if it comes to Quebec, absolutely. Here's the blank check. I mean, uh, yes, yeah, abso absolutely. When it pertains to Quebec's own 
sovereignty in Quebec's own jurisdiction. Well, that one is going to come back to bite them. And the reason it ties into the Sovereignty Act is because, again, it's Quebec acting in their own interest. And I know Danielle Smith is watching. In this time, the, what Quebec did to rewrite the Constitution is they decided that there are three Parti Québécois MNAs who have, to, to date, not been allowed to sit in the Quebec legislature because they refused to swear an oath to the king, King Charles of England. And they just said that, you know, we uh, want an independent Quebec so that we, you know, we don't want to swear an oath to the British monarch. And the law has stated that they, well, they, they have to do that or they would not be allowed in the assembly. So they have not been in the National Assembly until now that Quebec has rewritten the Constitution and removed the oath to the crown for elected officials in Quebec. So now, elected officials in Quebec only need to pledge an oath to serve the people of Quebec. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I mean, you do need to take an oath to serve the people. That is what you do as an elected official, or at least what you are supposed to do as an elected official. But when you're part of Canada, I guess just because tradition. Tradition states you, you pledge an oath to queen and country. I have friends who have been in the military who pledge an oath to queen and country, and now king and country. And I guess it's just what we do. So it's one of those traditions that is being taken away and allowed to be taken away because, well, it's Quebec. Again, Danielle Smith, I am certain that you're watching. Okay, now let's take care of one more housekeeping item here. Let's move one province west of Quebec into Ontario. And I'm not even picking on you this time, Ontario. I know we do that every now and then. And, you know, we will continue to when, it, when it's merited. In this case, Merritt Stiles, uh, NDP from Toronto, is now being acclaimed as the Ontario NDP leader. Now, uh, the quick history on that, many of you already know, especially those of you living in Ontario, that after the last provincial election in Ontario, the both NDP and the Liberals were absolutely obliterated by Doug Ford and the PCs. And actually, I should probably restate that. They really did themselves in because... They both were saying, yep, let's get into more masking and more lockdowns. And the average Ontarian was done. They'd had enough. So they decided, well, Doug Ford is the only guy who is not suggesting lockdowns and masks and hiding in fear. So let's vote for him. So the NDP and Liberals were decimated. NDP leader at the time, Andrea Horvath, did win her seat in Hamilton, but then decided to, to pack it in and give it up. And Stephen Del Duca, the liberal leader at the time, did not win his seat in Vaughan, so he decided that he would pack it in and hand the reins over to somebody else. As a side note, both Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca decided to run for mayor in their respective communities of Hamilton and Vaughn, Hamilton for Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca and Vaughn. And they both won the mayoralty races 
in those communities. So they still get to stay in politics, just not as provincial party leaders. So now enter Merritt Stiles, the, the Toronto NDP, who is now the provincial NDP leader. She was the only candidate and whether she was the only declared candidate or not, she was the only candidate who stepped up and actually met all the requirements. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of these requirements. One, she was able to gather 100 signatures from four of six geographic regions of Ontario. Ontario is a huge province, so I guess good on her. I'm not sure what the geographic regions are, like where they are, where the lines are drawn, but good for her. Four of six regions of Ontario, and those 100 signatures had to come. 50% from women, 25% from marginalized communities. Marginalized communities in this case was defined as non-whites or people with disabilities. So I'm guessing that means that people who are white can't be marginalized unless they have a disability. Yeah, here we go again. So I guess, first of all, congratulations, Ms. Stiles. You are now leader of the official opposition in Ontario. Lewis and I talked about this a good month or so ago that nobody wants to lead the left anymore. And here we go again. Now, running for the job of leader of the official opposition of Ontario, and only one person fits the bill? Now, of course, the CBC and uh, many, and the Toronto Star and many of the other usual suspects on the left, of course, are saying, oh yeah, but there has been a long history of leaders who were acclaimed who went on to become premier, and they list, they list a few of them, uh, Brad Wall in Saskatchewan being one of them, and yes, he was acclaimed leader and actually went on to become in my opinion, one of the most effective premiers in Canadian modern history. So maybe there's there's a, a precedent set here, although I don't think so. But we, I think that the reason that nobody wants to lead the left, and we discussed this on the show before, is maybe it's the council culture thing. Maybe it's the fact that they know because they are the ones who are, you know, usually heavily involved in council culture that, well, they're going to be coming for me and they're going to look through my Facebook and see a post I made in 2006 and forced me to stand by it or at least explain myself. And you can see it, that the media is doing that to Danielle Smith now. They're going through all of her, her past radio shows and saying, Oh, hey, you said something in 1998 that wasn't very friendly. Um, what's going on with that? And thankfully, Danielle Smith is just forging ahead and saying, yeah, whatever, you, uh, you guys just keep digging. And hopefully if anything happens with Merritt Stiles, she says the exact same thing. But that's got to be part of the reason nobody wants to lead left-wing parties anymore. I mean, we talked about before, the Alberta Liberal Party, nobody stepped forward, and they don't even have a seat in the in the Alberta legislature, so perhaps that's why. But 
it's just really amazing that you are able to get a half dozen candidates to lead a conservative party, like the Alberta UCP, for example, like the nine candidates who stepped forward to lead the Conservative Party of Canada. And yet, when it comes to parties on the left, like even the Green Party, who just went through a recently went through a leadership race, had to scale it back and say, yes, we've got multiple candidates, but we've got to have it all done in one round because we don't have the volunteers and we don't have the money to to push it ahead. And, well, <laughs> the Greens went back to Elizabeth May. So uh, what does that tell you for the quality of candidates stepping forward? No. Anyway, let's get into the bigger issues of today, Canada. So let's start out talking about C-21. Now, Bill C-21, as many of you know, is the firearms ban, very near and dear to Lewis's heart, as Lewis is a hunter and, well, would have some of his own firearms become subject to this latest ban. I actually would have one of mine for sure that would end up being swept up in this ban. I might be okay with my other ones. Well, who knows? They'll find some way to try to make those illegal too. As we'd said, it's just a matter of what's next, what's next, what's next, and what's next. So luckily for you and I, Canada... Um, those of you who are sympathetic to the firearms community, that is. And, well, that's definitely me. This latest amendment has, well, it actually has is falling on its face. It has tripped the Liberals up, but yet they're almost doubling down. They continue to lie about it. They continue to say, nope, it is not going to affect hunters and sports shooters. And Raquel Dencho who is the Conservative Party public safety critic in Ottawa. She's a, a Winnipeg MP. She actually called the Liberals out, called one Liberal MP a liar. And, of course, by parliamentary procedure, she was asked to apologize and withdraw the remark. And to her credit, she said, no, I'm not going to withdraw it. I'm not going to apologize. And she actually got ejected. She got kicked out of the House of Commons by the question period for the day. And afterward, in press conference, just still said, no, I'm not withdrawing the remark. Good for Pierre Poiliev. Stood by her and said, no, good for her. Good for her that she did not take that back. And her whole caucus stood behind her too. So good on her for calling a spade a spade. And this bill is, it's, it's, I should say, is the latest amendment. And it was the amendment that got thrown in at the very last minute after second reading that Lewis and I had talked about last week. And it was this amendment that's going to essentially ban everything except for maybe the odd single shot 22 that, you know, is not outfitted for a magazine. Well, what liberals did not count on was Jagmeet Singh actually speaking up and Jagmeet Singh said the NDP will not support this latest amendment because they they feel that it violates treaty rights and well that's not a not an unfounded position because Charlie Angus who represents many First Nations communities in his northern Ontario riding has also spoken out against the the amendments says that he can't support the amendments so 
I think Jagmeet Singh has realized that, nope, maybe we'd better, uh, better stand up for a lot of these northern ridings that our party supports, or uh, represents, I should say, that happens to have a lot of Indigenous communities who, for whom hunting is kind of sustenance. It's a way of life. And so much so that the Assembly of First Nations has spoken out against these amendments. The Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations, which represents 73 First Nations across Saskatchewan, have all, both also spoken out against these amendments, stating that, yeah, you're uh, actually directly affecting our, our way of life, hunting, trapping. That's, that's what we do. And, well... Even Liberals' own MPs, the MP for Yukon, the MP for Northwest Territories, both Liberals, both have, have spoken up and said they will not be supporting this bill. Because, well, Yukon, Northwest Territories, yep, there is an awful lot of hunting, trapping, subsistence living up there. So pretty wise of them to speak out against it. And they're probably not the only two. So... If these two have now had the cojones to stand up and say, nope, not going to happen. Well, hopefully it will, you know, give that little push to other liberal MPs who represent rural ridings to say that, yeah, it's actually, um, this is not the best bill. Um, perhaps these amendments need to go. Now, I don't know the play here. For Trudeau, honestly, I mean, yes, have, have we, we, as we keep saying, we can never predict anything when it comes to Justin Trudeau. So he will, will he just continue to forge ahead, double down and look to the block for support so that he can pass this? To me, that's likely the way it will go. Hopefully what happens is if he does do that, and like I say, I suspect he will, that maybe there'll be enough liberal MPs who either vote against it or simply don't show up to vote, that it won't pass. But stay tuned. We will let you know how that one goes. Now, also on the firearms front, I just have to point this out as a, as a well, we were right again. Um, back in May, the Toronto police seized 62 firearms in a raid, and they have now charged six people in an uh, illegal smuggling ring. So that's why I'm bringing it up now, because they finally laid some charges. Of these 62 firearms that were seized, not one of these firearms would actually have been legally available for purchase in Canada. In other words, all of these guns, all 62 of these guns were smuggled in likely from the United States. They were not legally purchased, registered, prohibited firearms. Some of them may have already been in Canada, uh, according to the, the reports on this. But yet again, this is not a lawful firearms owner's issue. This is a border issue. And the Toronto police have actually stated as much, that the Bill C-21, for example, will do nothing to, to stop the gun crime that is currently going on in Toronto. And it's awful. I mean, there's even a, a school in York where there is a, a jump list for for school staff where a student was shot and killed not long ago right out front of the school. And the Toronto police have stated, like, this 
C21 will do nothing for that. But what will do something is shore up our border, actually give Canadian Border Security Agency some powers to enforce Canadian laws outside of ports of entry. Right now, they have no jurisdiction outside of a port of entry. We need to shore up the border. We don't need Bill C-21. All right, moving on to, well, what, is, what would seem to be my favorite subject these days, which it is not, but that's made. And I know there are some of you probably right now thinking, okay, you know, maybe it's time for you to shut up about made. I want to, believe me, I want to shut up about made. I don't like talking about made because frankly, it makes me sick. But since we talked about that, that video for, that Simon said, published on YouTube last week, they've taken that video down from all of their social sites, by the way. So I don't know how easy that video will be to find. But yes, that most beautiful exit of Jennifer Hatch, it was the the lady they had didn't feature her, but they did. They, they, you know, it was it was about her story. Let's put it that way. Now she was a thirty-seven-year-old lady in BC who was suffering from Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Now I knew nothing about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, so I had to look it up. And it seems that it is a disease that affects the joints, so it often will be joints that men can dislocate easily. Um comes with joint pain, sometimes comes with a lot of skin conditions. And that was more what she had had, apparently, was she was having uh, some really massive skin irritability and decided that MAID was the way to go at 37 years old. Now, why did Jennifer Hatch decide that MAID was the way to go? Well, because she could not find effective treatment in British Columbia for her condition. And so she decided that because she was unable to find any kind of quality treatment and she was living in extreme pain and discomfort, that MAID was the way to go. So it's almost, actually, I can just call it right out. It's not even so much stupid government policy of MAID that killed her. It is Stupid governments doubling down on a crappy healthcare system that drove her to go to MAID to kill herself. She could not find any reasonable quality treatment in BC for her condition. So she finally gave up. Well, let's just talk about that for a minute. Because the healthcare system in this country is awful. We all know that. We've talked about that enough times on this show. But how awful has it become? Well, the Fraser Institute started to track healthcare wait times for treatment in Canada. They started tracking this back in 1993. Well, in 1993, the average wait time for care in Canada was nine weeks. So that's, and that's from the time you see your family doctor or the or your first whoever the frontline doctor is because five million Canadians don't have a family doctor. So whether it's the doctor at the walk-in clinic or your family doctor, from the time you see them, they say, "Yeah, you better go see a specialist. Move on to you know get your first treatment, whatever." Back in 1993, that was nine weeks. 
which is still too long in my opinion, but nine weeks was the average wait time in Canada. Well, let's fast forward 30 years, 29 years now, it's 2022. The average wait time in Canada for treatment is now 27 weeks. Well, at 27 weeks, I think I now understand exactly why people are saying, well, maybe made is a better idea because that's six months. Six months from the time you see a doctor until you can actually start getting some treatment. And in the case of Jennifer Hatch, even then she couldn't find good treatment. Now, I want to point out one thing before I move on from this one is that the wait time in PEI is the worst in Canada at 64 weeks. Um, that's 14 months. That's over a year to get treatment if you're in PEI. I feel awful for you folks. But even Ontario, being the best in the country, is 20 weeks. Well, that's still four and a half months. That is just not acceptable. So I'm not going to justify made ever because I hate it. But I can understand why some people would be getting a little bit desperate and say, look, I can't find any kind of care. So let's just do this. So, all right, back in the maid end of things. <sighs> the Canadian Psychiatric Association has asked the government to delay this, the, the next stage of MAID, which is going to come in March. March is when mental health becomes yet one more parameter to accept MAID. So, and we, and Lewis and I discussed this back when that was, when that first was amended to the bill, is that mental health disorders, such as eating disorders, for example, so anorexia would be, uh, be a, a good candidate for MAID and depression would be a good candidate for MAID. Well, the Canadian Psychiatric Association has said, you know, given, the, you know, in light of people who are homeless asking for MAID and being accepted and people who are poor asking for MAID and being accepted. And given that we have now five minimum Canadian Armed Forces veterans being recommended made because they were inconvenient and for PTSD. And given that, well, there was a gentleman in London, Ontario, who actually documented that because he was costing the system north of $1,500 a day, that maybe he should consider made. And given that there was actually a woman in, in BC who did have some depression and some other mental health issues was very quickly fast-tracked into made so quickly that her family were barely aware that it, that it happened when it did. The Canadian Psychiatric Association said, maybe we need to put the brakes on this. But David Lametti, justice minister said, no, no, nope. In fact, David Lametti was quoting as saying, nope, made is working fine in its current form. And he said, these highlighted cases that we, that I just talked about, those are the exception, not the norm. So they're not going to delay, including mental health in MAID. They're actually going to go full steam ahead. So come March, someone who is depressed, 
well, maybe you should just ki get, kill yourself. Somebody who has anorexic, maybe you should just kill yourself. And, well, somebody who's depressed may very well go for that. So, again, here we are stating what doctors would actually sign off on something like this. And here's what really bugs me is the hypocrisy of the, the left in general. Because you've all heard it. I mean, I, I can, I'm old enough to remember when there was no seatbelt law in Alberta when I grew up. In fact, when I got my license at 16, they, there was no law for, for mandating seatbelts. One was passed shortly after I got my driver's license, repealed, and then passed again. And at that time, our friends on the left, their justification was that if wearing seatbelts saves even one life, it's worth, it's worth the inconvenience on everybody else. And that's always their justification. If this saves just one life, if this stops just one accident, if this stops just one injury, the draconian legislation is worthwhile. Well, then why the hell, when it comes to MAID, when people like me say, hey, if you save even one life by not being stupid and allowing anorexia to be a, a condition for MAID, then maybe it's worth not including mental health in MAID? Crickets. Oh no, this is working just fine. No, it's not. It is not working just fine. But nope, the whole idea of if it is saves even one life, well, that doesn't matter when it's one of their signature pieces of legislation. So we're not interested in saving just one life when it comes to MAID. We're interested in ending as many inconvenient lives as possible. And I want to make certain that you, that you understand that, Canada. MAID is just as much about inconvenience as it is about compassion. Don't believe me? Well, ask that poor gentleman in London. Well, you're costing the system a lot of money. Maybe you should just die. Oh, you're, you're, you're homeless? Oh, maybe you should just die. Oh, you want a wheelchair ramp for your house that you've been asking for for a year and a half? Canadian Armed Forces veteran, paraplegic Olympic athlete? Oh, why don't you just die instead? I'm reminded of people on Twitter who, uh, no, the hate on Twitter, I should say. When people send DMs to people who actually take a stand on issues and say things like, why don't you just kill yourself? That's exactly what our government is now doing. Oh, why don't you just kill yourself? And, well, because it's government, they can get away with it. And they'll say, yeah, why don't you just kill yourself? And some people will be, yeah, that's, that's, that's actually what I want. Want to help a brother out? Yeah, sure. I would love to get a maid doctor on this show to justify this kind of stuff. But I know that's never going to happen. But that actually gives me some inspiration. Maybe I'll reach out and see what, what we can do on that. Likely nothing. But stay tuned. I know I talk about MAID an awful lot, just like Lewis likes to talk about the firearms issues an awful lot. Um, these are issues that are near and dear to our hearts, and I'm not going to stop because MAID is literally killing Canadians unnecessarily, and it just, it just breaks my heart. So 
Now, from breaking my heart to breaking our wallets, um, which also kind of breaks my heart, not a lot is really being said about what is by far the largest misappropriation of Canadian taxpayer money in the entire history of this country. Well, why are we not hearing about it? Well, you already know why. Because part of that money goes to our mainstream media every year. Anyway, I mentioned it on, the, uh, on our Facebook page, $32 billion in COVID relief spending has been, as they say, misappropriated. In other words, burnt, blown, wasted. Now, the Auditor General, Karen Hogan, thank God for her. She's doing her job, and most Auditor Generals are actually really good, so i got to give them credit. And so... Karen Hogan has just has found $27.4 billion in uh, COVID relief payouts went to those who were either ineligible or were outright scamming the system. So ineligible people like myself who were declared an essential service, kept working throughout the pandemic, but yet still applied for, for, for benefits. I didn't apply for any benefits, but you know what I mean. People like me who kept working, well, that that that's part of the of, of being ineligible for benefits. People who were outright scamming the system. Lewis had pointed out there was people he knew that were working during the pandemic and deliberately applied for the benefits because Justin Trudeau encouraged it. He and so did Jagmeet Singh. They said at the time, "Well, just apply for the money, and then we will figure it out, you know, later on." So they encouraged it. Now, the other $4.6 billion of this $32 billion is just in direct overpayments. And I actually have a member of my family who had, had that, applied for the benefit, received both a check and a direct deposit. So should have either ripped up the check or sent it back. But in the case of my dumbass family member, they actually cashed said check. So that was an overpayment that will have to be recovered. And also on the ineligible front would be some of those businesses who applied for the, the workers' benefits who should not have qualified for them, you know, because they, you know, did not necessarily have an appreciable loss, etc. Like, for example, the Liberal Party of Canada, who applied for the benefit to pay their staffers and the Conservative Party of Canada, and the Green Party of Canada, all but the Bloc Québécois who decided to take advantage of that system, that benefit, that payout, they're all ineligible. However, other than the Bloc actually having the integrity not to take it in the first place, the Conservative Party did at least pay that money back. Liberals, NDP, Greens, crickets, crickets. So they are part of that $32 billion boondoggle. And uh, the reason I use the word boondoggle because we had a firearms registry, a long gun registry back in the mid-90s that was brought in by the Chrétien government that was labeled the billion-dollar boondoggle because it was supposed to be $2 million to uh, implement this long gun registry. Ended up costing $2 billion. Well, we have... 16 long gun registries here in this $32 billion boondoggle. 
And let's go back to the sponsorship scandal, which happened also later in the 90s, early 2000s, which ended up bringing down the Paul Martin government. He was finance minister at the time. That sponsorship scandal, if you bring that into 2022 dollars, was actually $200 million that went to liberal-friendly ad firms. Well, so now you've got $200 million which in a scandal that effectively brought down a liberal government. We have 160 sponsorship scandals with all this misappropriated COVID money. 160 sponsorship scandals. Do you think that 160 sponsorship scandals might bring down this liberal government? I don't. Even though with $32 billion that were just blown out the door, well, that would actually have funded the entire budget of the province of Nova Scotia for two years. I got these, this figure from the National Post, by the way. So you could have given Nova Scotia two years of, of, of a pass on their own finances, or you could have 160 sponsorship scandals for all the money that was blown out the door by this liberal government. And Karen Hogan even said there was about $4 billion of this that would, quote, not be worth recovering. In other words, it would cost you more to recover it than, you, than the money is worth. Well, when has that ever stopped government from going after money? Do you ever, have you ever owned any money on your taxes? <laughs> they don't ever stop, not until every single cent is collected. So when they're throwing this kind of money out the door, does it surprise anybody that the Bank of Canada actually lost money in the last quarter? The Bank of Canada lost a half a billion dollars and not as in lost as we don't know where it is. As in the Bank of Canada is usually profitable. It usually puts a billion dollars a year into the government treasury. Well, in this one quarter alone, well, they showed losses of half a billion dollars, partially because they were buying up Government of Canada bonds like they were candy for the last two years. And, well, there's that $32 billion again. So now, is it any wonder why inflation is out of control? Is there any wonder why interest rates have gone up from, well, 0.25% at the beginning of 2022 and are now at 4.25%. Is it any wonder that Canada has more renters than ever right now? Because you've had a lot of seniors who have gotten out of their homes and are now renting a small condo or purchase a small condo. And you've got millennials out there who, for some reason, can barely scrape by and rent a two-bedroom apartment for about $2,000, but yet can't qualify for a mortgage to buy that two-bedroom condo for $1,500 a month. That doesn't make any sense to me, and it never has, honestly. But is there any wonder why our economy is on the brink of recession, or as Lewis has pointed out, really already is in recession, just afraid to admit it, is there any wonder why this country is in the financial shape that it is in when we've got $32 billion in, you know, 
alleged COVID relief blown out the door that, well, was misappropriated, was outright scammed or was overpaid, which was just blown out the door without oversight. And that is the hallmark of this Trudeau government. Blow money out the door and then think about it later. Let's blow out $32 billion in COVID relief and then, yeah, we'll figure out later what to do with it. Well, the NDP's dental care idea, what the Liberals do, eh, let's just send out some checks and figure it out later. If they don't want to spend it all on dental care, meh, that's all right. Just cut them a check. Renters that I just talked about being gouged, and it's not necessarily they're being gouged. I mean, housing is expensive, period. So let's just say that uh, that renters are facing higher than ever rental fees payments right now. Yeah, let's just throw a $500 check at renters. Well, that's going to go nowhere, but yep, yeah, let's just throw it out there and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something else out later. Well, you can't just keep writing checks and sending checks out and I don't know if they think that it's that we're sending money out on the honor system or if the government is just that dumb and doesn't have any idea how to design any kind of a social program. I'm going with option B. We have the dumbest government in the history of this country. It is completely bereft of ideas. It has no idea how to design any kind of a relief program. And of course they don't because Trudeau has surrounded himself with people that are just as dumb as he is. And he is the dumbest person who has ever occupied the office at 24 Sussex Drive. And unfortunately, well, he gets to keep on having himself surrounded by dummies and being a dummy and just throwing money out the door because Canadians go for it. And Jagmeet Singh keeps on sitting on Justin's lap and saying, yep, yep, keep it up, keep it up. Let's just keep throwing more money out there. And, well, maybe in the spring, if there is indeed that spring election, then I think there will be. Well, we're going to keep seeing Justin Trudeau throwing money out there with no accountability because, in his mind, Canadians just want to see that check. And maybe he's right. And maybe that's also why he's trying to implement the largest gunman in Canadian history because, well, he sees that there's a lot of gun violence in Toronto, Vancouver, and those voters just want to get guns off the streets. So if I'm seen to be the guy who's getting guns off the streets, I'm going to win that spring election. And if I'm seen to be the guy who's throwing checks out there to have Canadians backs, that I'm going to be the guy that wins that next election. If I'm the guy who's seen to be compassionate, out there by killing off as many inconvenient people as possible with made, I'm the guy that's going to win that next election. Well, I guess we have a choice to make, Canada. Do we want to allow a government that is bending us into oblivion, who is killing off those who are medically inconvenient, someone who is trying to take away as many of your firearms as possible, someone who is allowing one province to rewrite the constitution at will while demonizing another for deciding to stand up for itself and uphold the constitution. I guess we have a decision to make come spring. 
if there is indeed that election that I still think is going to happen, I guess we ask ourselves, do we want to reelect this loser, corruptocrat that we currently have in office? Or do we want to be bold and make some change and actually take our country back? I guess I know which side I fall on, but I live in one of the least populated jurisdictions in the country, so I guess I have to look east of me and hope that folks in Ontario and Quebec have had enough of this moron corruptocrat in office. Well, I'm going to leave it right there, Canada. I could rant on more about this, but uh, we're at our time here, so I do want to thank you for joining me today, and we will talk to you again next weekend. Now, we've got an interview scheduled for later this week coming up. I will only tease out that much because, well, you never know if if, if it gets cancelled or not. So uh, hopefully you can look forward to an interview special later on this week. But at the very least, you can look forward to talking to me again next weekend. So until then, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. We will talk to you soon. Good night, Canada.